college professor who was an avowed atheist told his class that he intended to prove to them that God did not exist. And so looking up at the ceiling of the classroom, he shouted, God, if you're real, then I want you to knock me off of this platform and I'll give you 15 minutes to do it. The lecture room fell silent. He could hear a pin drop. Ten minutes went by and again he taunted God, Here I am, God! I'm still waiting! He smiled at the class as he counted down the last couple of minutes. But near the back of the class, a student looked around and quietly stood up. He was a big guy, an ex-Marine. He'd just been released from active duty, and he is newly registered in the class. That young man walked up to the professor, and without saying a word, he approached the professor, reared back, and hit him with full force and sent him tumbling from his lofty platform. The stunned professor looked or just laid there for a few minutes. The young man went back and quietly sat down in his seat. When the professor finally recovered, he looked around and he looked at that young man and he said, What's the matter with you? Why did you do that? The young man said, God told me to tell you that he was busy, and so he sent me. Well, it got about the same kind of laugh in the earlier service too. I said laughs work better with a bigger crowd. <clears throat> That's not how God works. We all know that. But I believe that God has assignments for every single one of us. Something that each and every one of us can do. And He wants to send you into that service and He wants you to accomplish the work that He has planned in your life. I hear people say things like, I'll be glad when 2020 is over. And I want to include this poem before I say much more about that, but it says, it goes like this. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely unto the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand in the hand of God. That shall be better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth, finding the hand of God, and trod quietly into the night. We hear people say, and probably there's people here that said it, that I'll be glad when the year 2020 is over and we can put all of this stuff behind us. It's like they think that on January the 1st, at the strike of midnight, that all of this is going to change. The pandemic's going to go away. We're going to be able to we'll be free to do whatever we've been able to do before, and it's all going to go away. But you know what? 2021 could be worse. It could be more difficult. There could be more challenges. There could be other problems that we have to face that we don't know about. And so doesn't it make sense to take the hand of God and allow Him to be with us and guide us through all the trials and troubles that we have. A lot of times we complain, and I like to remind people sometimes, how really, how has this affected us? How has all of these changes that have been made affected us? We still have food on our table. Most people still have a job. Some have lost loved ones. Some have been sick. But look at what we have. 
Look at how well we've been blessed. So I was telling somebody, you know, with the relief package that went out earlier in the year, some even were further ahead because you got money and you still had a job. And so think about how blessed we are because it could get worse. But when we have God with us, what do we have to fear? Moses was going to be given some instructions, and that's what we want to look at this morning. Moses, God had a mission for Moses. Moses was on Mount Sinai when God spoke to him at that burning bush. And Moses was just a shepherd. Tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. And he had been living that life for about 40 years when the Lord suddenly appeared to him on that, in that burning bush. And in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, this is what the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. When you read the story of the rest of the events that took place, Moses seemed like a person who was not prepared for this opportunity that was placed before him. He felt that he wasn't capable to do the job. That he wasn't the man. And how many times have we felt like that when we see something that needs to be done? It's not for me. Somebody else can do it. And that's kind of Moses' attitude that he has there. And he starts to argue with God. And in the midst of their conversation, Moses said in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1, Behold, behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Moses was struggling with his trust in God. How many of us struggle with our trust in God? That God is going to be with us throughout the year or throughout our life? That God is going to be with us when, he, when we see a job that needs to be done? That God is going to help us to accomplish that mission if we accept His mission that He gives us? Moses was a man struggling with his trust in God and he worries that God might have made a mistake in choosing him. Oh, the words aren't there, but maybe he's thinking, are you sure you want me? I want to be here to ensure you that God wants you. When God says go into all the world, we are to go into all the world. That's you and me. And so he looks at all the possible problems, sees all the troubles that he would face, and he looks at all the what-ifs, and Moses begins to make excuses. And I think that we struggle with that also. We struggle with the what-ifs in this life. 
When we know that the Bible tells us that we need to be doing certain things, that we need to be living a certain way and, and teaching others about the cause of Christ, sometimes we, we doubt. And we start to struggle with the what-ifs. What if it doesn't work? What if, what if it fails to work? What if, well, what if they get mad at me when I talk to them about Christ? I talk about the Bible. What if they get angry with me? What if they don't like me anymore? Or what if I'm the only one doing it and no one else will help? What if? What if? And I think the list could go on and on and on. <clears throat> and many times, uh, what ifs are not real. But they kill our faith that we should have in God. You see, God knows the future. God knows what's going to happen in 2021. And in Moses' case, He knew what was going to happen when Moses went to Egypt. In fact, in the conversation with Moses, God reveals His knowledge of things that are going to take place. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, God knew that they would eventually come and worship on that mountain, Horeb. One that they were speaking, that He was speaking to Moses on. In verse 13, because Moses was worried whether the Israelites would listen to him, in verses 16 through 18, God told him that the elders of Israel would listen to him. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 19, God even told him that the kings of Egypt or the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And then in verse 20, he says, and after all the wonders that he performed, he will let you go. I ask you, because most of us have read the story, know the story, we know what took place. Was God right? Did God know what would happen? Did they listen? Did the, did the elders listen to Moses? Did, Moses or did Pharaoh let the people go automatically when Moses showed up? No. He had to be convinced with a mighty hand. And that mighty hand was the hand of God. Even the magicians at one point had to say, this, this is the finger of God. God knew what was going to happen. But He wanted Moses to go and do the job anyways. And when God has a mission for us, He'll provide the resources because it is His work that He is wanting us to do. And whatever task we are doing for the church, whatever mission that we may have for the Lord, remember, we are His servants and we're doing His work. It's not our work. It's the Lord's work. And we should want to be involved with it. And we should want to love the responsibility that God has given to us. But Moses needed to be convinced. But I want you to think about what it says in Psalms chapter 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builder labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Think about that for a moment. God, if He's not behind it, it's going to be destroyed. We need to be careful that we do things like God wants us to do. And when we see Moses, or God assuring Moses, He does it not with just one miracle, but with three miracles. He asked Moses a question. And it's a question that I want to ask us today. What's in your hand? 
For Moses, it was a rod, an ordinary shepherd's staff. It was like a walking stick, but it was also used in defense if that's what was needed to defend the sheep. God told Moses to throw that thing down, and when he did, it turned into a serpent, turned into a snake. Now, I would imagine that Moses, in a, over the course of time, in guarding the sheep of Jethro, that he had come across some snakes. And that there were some, probably some vicious or uh, venomous snakes in that area. Now, I don't know what kind of snake this was that that rod turned into. Perhaps it was a new snake. I don't know. A new kind. I, I don't know. But it turned into a serpent. And what did Moses do? The Bible says he fled. And I think, duh, that's kind of a natural response, isn't it? That's what I would do. And I would venture to say many people would do that. Because you're looking at this rod, you've thrown it down on the ground, and then all of a sudden it's a snake. And so he flees. But then God tells Moses to do something. He says, pick up the serpent. Pick up the serpent by the tail. Now, you and I both know that you don't pick up a snake by the tail. Now, I've watched some of these snake handlers in, in different programs where they'll grab it by the tail and they'll pull it out, but they're very careful when they're doing that. And why is that? Because they know that if you take that snake by the tail, that it will turn back and it will bite you one way or another if you're not real careful. But God says, grab it by the tail. Wouldn't it be much safer to grab it by the jaws behind its head and grab it so the jaws can't, can't come back and bite you? But he said, pick that snake up by the tail. You grab them just the right way. God said, grab it by the tail, and Moses followed the commands of the Lord. And when he did, it turned back into a rod. I want you to think about that just for a moment. What was God doing for Moses? Through that experience, God demonstrated His trustworthiness. You throw that down, it becomes a snake. Now you pick it up by the tail. Now what was Moses' first reaction? He ran when he saw it. So pick it up by the tail and it immediately turns back into a rod. What God says is always true. And it will always come true. And Moses experienced that personally when he did what God told him to do. God is helping him to grow his faith. Sometimes we need to trust God. That we need to put His, put his Word to the test. Go out and try those things that He tells us in His Word and see if God is faithful to, the, to His Word. And I'd venture to say you'll find that He is. Because if you examine that rod, it would just be an ordinary rod that had been used by Moses for many years in shepherding that flock. And God asked him to offer that snake or that rod up. And Moses demonstrated, or God demonstrated his power to Moses. But if you read the rest of the story, don't do it right now. When you go home and you look at that story, I want you to notice something about that rod. Moses is wrong. If you read further on, like in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 9, 
It became God's rod. Moses had it, but God used it. God used Moses and that rod on many occasions. In Exodus chapter 7 and verse 17, Moses struck the Nile River and it turned to blood. In chapter 8 and verse 5, he brought a plague of frogs up out of the water. In chapter 8 and verse 16, he struck the dust and it turned into lice. In chapter 9 and verse 23, he stretched it toward heaven to bring down fire, thunder, and hail. In chapter 10 and verse 13, he brought a plague of locusts. In chapter 14 and verse 16, he divided the Red Sea. He struck a rock with it and got water to come forth so that they would have water to drink. In chapter 17 and verse 6. And then in chapter 17 and verse 9, when he held that rod up, the rod of God, their warriors prevailed while they were in battle. And what was that thing that Moses called it? A rod. Like I said, if you look at that rod, it would look just like any other ordinary shepherd's staff. But that rod, when it was placed in God's hand, was used to do the miraculous. And so I want to ask you, what's in your hand? What has God blessed you with that you can use for the cause of Christ? We can look at other events in the Bible, other situations that took place. And we can see with David, it was a sling and five stones that was in his hand and he prevailed over the giant Goliath and was able to kill him. So what's in your hand? The widow, she had enough food for one more meal for her and her son. But she offered that meal to the God's prophet Elijah. She gave it to him first, and God fed her and her family and the prophet throughout the famine. What's in your hand? The young boy had his lunch, five loaves and two fish, but Jesus used it to feed 5,000. What if that boy had held on to that lunch? What if he hadn't given it up? We wouldn't be able to read about that miracle, would we? What's in your hand? All that Mary of Bethany had was an alabaster box with precious ointment. And she offered it and anointed Jesus. And she gave us a lesson that has been repeated for generation upon generation upon generation. In fact, Jesus said that wherever the Gospel was going to be preached, that that story would be told about what Mary did. What's in your hand? A poor widow had two mites, two small coins in her hands, and she gave it, and it was all that she had. More than she, When she gave it, it was more than anyone else had given because it was everything. God honors it, and it was precious to Jesus when He saw it. So I ask, what's in your hand? God can do great things today with what we have. But I want you to notice something about every one of those examples. Even with Moses, 
God cannot use anything that we've got until we let go of it. He will not force us to give up anything. But when we willingly offer it, He can do great things with it. We're not going to see miracles happen like in some of these cases. But God will use what we have if we will allow Him to do so. God did not ask Moses to use something that he did not have. I want you to notice that too. And He doesn't ask us to use what we don't have. Those that had the talents that we read about, they had five and they gained five more. He used the five that He had. The one that had two used the two that He had. He used what He had and He gained more. And the one individual that had the one talent, He didn't use it. He went out and He hid it. And He lost it all. God will use whatever we have and He will never ask us to give more than what we're capable of doing. We will never know the full potential of what we can what can be done until and unless we are willing to offer it to God. Our corruptible wealth will have eternal consequences for some. You think about all the things that you have. You can hang on to it. And I'm sure these words have been uttered in a few houses this, this last few days. Oh, that's mine. That's mine. You're not going to play with it. That's mine. You give it to me. Keep. I'm keeping it. And that's really kind of the attitude that sometimes we have as adults. That God, you've blessed us, but it's mine. And I'm not going to, let, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to give it up. You might have an opportunity to study with someone. You're talking to someone, they say, Well, I can do it Tuesday night. When then you get home, you say, Oh, Tuesday night, that's my favorite program's on Tuesday night. I'm going to go ask them if we can do it Thursday. Can we do it Thursday? Well, no, Thursday's not available. I can't do it Thursday. Tuesday's the only night I have. Then you got to say, Well, am I going to give up that program that I want to watch? Or am I going to go do what I know I should do? And many times we're not willing to make that sacrifice. What if it's something else? Oh, a ball game that your, your kids are involved with. But you have an opportunity to teach someone. Which one are you going to do? Are we using what God's given us? With the opportunities that He makes available to us? You see, in the hand of man, that staff was just a rod. In God's hand, the rod that Moses held in His hand, it was used to do perform great signs. And God reminded him to take that rod with him. Whether you're educated or not, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're young or old, that does not matter. The question is simply this. What's in your hand? Not what's in somebody else's hand. Because you know, there's some people that are real good at pointing out what somebody else doesn't do and what they're failing to do when they're not doing anything themselves. It's easy to say, oh, brother, so-and-so, sister, so-and-so, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And then when it gets turned around, say, well, what are you doing? Well, I, I can't do it. Remember, God doesn't ask you to do something that you're not capable of doing, but there's something every single one of us can do. You remember the one person had five talents, the other had two, and one had one talent. 
God didn't expect five out of the one talent man. He didn't expect one out of the five talent man. He expected him to use and expects you to use what He's blessed you with. We've all been blessed. Even with all the problems that we've had in 2020, we've been blessed. And we need to count those blessings. But don't look at someone else and say, oh, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Ask yourself in that mirror, are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you living like you're supposed to live? Are you using the blessings that God has blessed you with? And then offer it to God. Offer whatever you have. And none of us have the same things. And that's really what's amazing about the body of Christ. You have talents that I don't. I have talents that you don't. But we all together work together just like this human body, the body of Christ. This, this body has all different parts. The body of Christ has different parts too, but we all function together. We work together. And that's what we forget sometimes. You see, God has given us, given every one of us something to use. Time, knowledge, skills, talents, abilities. God can accomplish great things through us. You see, we are His hands. We are His feet. And in many cases, we're His spokesmen. We take what the Bible says. Peter says, if any man speak, then he speak as the oracles of God. That means that when I'm telling you what God's Word says, it better be what God's Word says. And when you're going out telling other people about what they need to do to be saved, it better be what God's Word says you need to do in order to be saved. When you're trying to teach someone about the church, it better be what the Bible says about the church. But we all have different abilities. And I want to say something else. God does not expect any of us to be perfect. God did not expect that out of Moses. Moses had weaknesses. As great of a leader as he was, he still had weaknesses that he had to learn to be a good leader. Jethro, his father-in-law, taught him to delegate certain responsibilities. Why? Because Moses was overwhelmed with all the things that were taking place, with all the people that were coming to him. And Jethro suggested to delegate it, to divide it up. So he wasn't perfect to begin with. And then we see that even as a great leader, there was still a problem that he had. He didn't trust God at one point. He disobeyed what God said. And in his weakness... He strikes the rock when God said that He was to speak to it. But God isn't looking for our abilities. He's not saying, oh, Brother so-and-so, he's got a lot, so I'll use him and I'm not going to use Brother so-and-so because he don't have a whole lot. God's not looking at our abilities. He's looking for availability. Are you going to make yourself available? Would you make yourself available on that night to teach someone or to visit someone or to help someone when you have other plans? Will you serve Him? When we do, when we make ourselves available, God's purposes, purpose will be fulfilled and will bring blessings to millions of people. And yeah, I say millions. Because you have no idea how much your influence has on someone else. 
and so on and so on. Long after my Leonard White is forgotten, that my name isn't remembered, you might find me on uh, whatever that is, where they search your genealogy. You might find my name somewhere in there. But for the most part, everybody's going to forget me someday. It's going to be like I never existed. But what I teach could still be impacting people generation after generation after generation. And the things that you do may have an impact on people around you that you don't even know. As I when I finished this sermon this morning, Scott reminded me that, you know, as he I was preaching that, he was thinking about all the hands that were involved in helping him to be where he was at today. Brethren, how many of us think about that? About the impact that others have had? Bible class teachers? Brothers and sisters in Christ, family members that were living a faithful life, think of the impact that it has. And some of them are long gone. Maybe their name hasn't been forgotten yet, but eventually their name, like my name, will be forgotten. But their influence can live on. What are you doing for Christ? You need not be better. You don't need to develop the perfect skills. By that I mean sometimes we're not going to get involved in helping people and studying with people and teaching people and, and doing the things that we should because we're waiting until we can we know all the answers, until we got the best system, until we can, our approach is perfect. You'll never get there. God wants you to start now. He wants to use what you have now. Not six months from now, not ten years from now, but what you have now. He accepts you as you are and begins to use you where you are if you will allow Him to do so. God loves you. He cares about you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. And He expects us to live faithful, to live in fellowship with Him, as we live in this life. And when you know Christ, you'll love Him. When you know God, you'll love Him. And you'll want to serve them. You see, God has a wonderful plan for your life. But you need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust God. And you need to do that today. You see, Jesus came and He died and He rose again to life all for your sake, so that you and I could be reconciled to God, who is our Heavenly Father. We accept Jesus by being buried with Him in water, totally immersed for the remission of sin. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. To every creature he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We see that put into action on the day of Pentecost when they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And we see that in many examples in the New Testament where people did what they were supposed to do in accepting Christ by being baptized into Christ. And you can do that today. Accept Jesus and be buried with Him in baptism.
Then I close with this word, with this thought. What's in your hand? What are you using? Allow God to use it in your life and be what He wants you to be. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.